0: Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, halfback, flat, on ready, Ready? Right. Now, here's your hosts, Danny
1: O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Uh,
0: good morning, Polly. Just uh, rolling solo in your 5.0 with the rake top down so your hair can blow.
1: Mm hmm. Although, I don't like to put the. Windows down because I, I like the hair to stay to stay set. You know, I, Brock, I'm I'm sure as someone who also has fantastic hair, like you gotta you always gotta be a little bit careful with too much wind in the hair.
0: Yeah, I, I use a product uh, from J. Crew called forming cream. Okay, that seems to seems to work pretty well for me. And I don't have a huge swath. What I have, I kind of keep in place with the forming cream. So I kind of like the the sun on my face. I kind of like the wind blowing through the car a little bit. So. Just a little different, Polly, but that's okay.
1: Fashion tips from uh, Brock and from Paul right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. That's not why you're here, though. So, Brock, since it's Thursday, I'm doing a little bit of a throwback Thursday theme throughout the show. And I want you to guess when Pete Carroll said this. The best part of of really that came off this off season that was I think better than years past was our tempo. The tempo that we were able to maintain offensively uh, and, and to limit the defense in terms of their timing to make adjustments, um, we did it in a number of different ways, and we worked really, really hard through all the Zoom time. We were practicing that stuff the whole time. Uh, guys were standing up in their living rooms and, and and you know doing their footwork and stuff like that, and and, and trying to get a grip for what we could do tempo-wise and then we carried it through the camp and it uh, showed up in game one in a, in a good way. When do you think Pete Carroll said that?
0: Well, the Zoom is a little bit of a giveaway, so it wasn't before last year. Um, I was thinking maybe that was that was in 2018, 2019, but uh, I think with Zoom that would have had to have been la- not not this current 21 offseason, but the season of 2020.
1: Right you are there, Brock. Yes. So they talked about putting in tempo last year, too. And yes. I, I, I imagine this is something that they have talked about a whole lot. Why, why is it so difficult to install tempo? And and I know you were playing with Peyton Manning, who is the godfather of tempo in today's modern NFL Why haven't the Seahawks been able to really make it a thing with Russell Wilson? Well, that's a pretty good tee-up there, Paul, and he
0: didn't even know it. Because I played in a West Coast system for my first three years in the league, where if there was one word that Mike Holmgren would yell most consistently at practice and, and getting ready for games, tempo, tempo, in and out, tempo, let's go. It was all a tempo, kind of rhythm, progression, West Coast system. So you get in and out of the huddle. You dictate, but you do that through your tempo. You don't do that through getting to the line of scrimmage, and as I did at Indianapolis then when I got traded there. In every single call, Peyton controls at the line of scrimmage. There were very few checks uh, with with Mike Holmgren in the Seattle system and Bill Walsh. That's not what he liked to do. He liked his play call. He wanted to get up there and run. Felt like there were built-in answers to anything the defense could do. So play with tempo. Play Just pick up your pace. And it was 180 the opposite. In Indianapolis. There was no never really a word of, of tempo. It was check with me and get to the right call and and you know let's let's beat the defense because whatever they're gonna show, Peyton's able to check to and get to, and the offense was capable of defeating it on the whiteboard and then ultimately on the green grass with him changing and calling those plays. So Tempo can be kind of confusing in that that matter. When Pete said that, I think, a year and a half ago, he's talking about knowing the system so well. Everybody is so well-versed. Russell's got a master's degree now. And so we, we can really play with almost some of that West Coast tempo and and let's move let's get in out of the huddle we everybody knows everything everybody knows every play call russell is able to check is able to advantage check when he needs to but it's much more of everybody being on the same page this i think what is being asked in shane Waldron's system is yet again another wrinkle paul this this is boy we're gonna have multiple plays called Kind of like Indianapolis, it's really blending the two, right? It's blending some of those West Coast principles. It's blending a run game, but having the ability to to run two plays at once and, and check what you know you want to check and have motions and shifts and movements to try to get the defense to show their cards. So, man, football is a funny, complex game. It's simple. Yet it's so complex at times, and truthfully, you and I could sit down at lunch and talk about these three systems, the, the Mike Holmgren, John Gruden, Bill Walsh West Coast system, the really the, Pete, the 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 Peyton Manning, Indianapolis, Tom Moore system, and now where Shanahan and McVeigh and crew have evolved into this system. It's a, it's a pretty fascinating discussion.
1: Certainly is, and I'm, I'm curious as to if you believe they can get to that master's degree by the start of the year?
0: Green Bay didn't, okay? Green Green Bay did not with Aaron Rodgers in year number one. And you felt the friction points, and he talked about it a bunch. I had them this last year in year number two, and it was pretty clear. It was no longer Aaron's system. It was no longer um, Matt LaFleur's system. It was a Green Bay system. And they finally kind of got to a point where language-wise, they worked it out. Where Aaron wasn't comfortable with some of the stuff and didn't like, you know, 19 words, and, and wanted things streamlined a little bit. And 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 yet they had their passion and the way they wanted to call things. And and a first-time head coach. It wanted to do it his way you know so there's there's some blending so no i don't think if you look at that test case example it is going to be unbelievably efficient and easy and seamless there's going to be timeouts burned there's going to be a couple little friction points as they work with pete as they work with russ to ultimately get it to be not shane waldron system not russell system not a shanahan tree system but the seattle seahawks 2021
1: system question number two just a moment ago, Brock, I, in response to some audio that we heard from Damian Woody, he believes Matt Stafford's under more pressure than anyone in the NFL. I did a really quick top five players in the NFL under pressure. I had Frank Clark at five because you you don't want to go to jail. Uh, But also, you want to get more sacks in the regular season. Odell Beckham Jr. at four because for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out in Cleveland. I have Stafford at three, Derek Carr at number two, and Ben Roethlisberger at number one after the finish that he had to the season. But what player do you think is under the most pressure in the entire NFL going into 2021?
0: Yeah, I think there is a, a narrative and a script to write for Matthew Stafford that he's getting rose petals thrown at him right now. Uh, Because his head coach thinks he's one bad dude and he's incredibly talented, and and all the fingers point back to Motor City and say it was your fault. It was your fault. You're inept. You're terrible. Terrible organization. So I think, you know, it's it's been six or seven months of that. And now here you go. Here you go, Sean McVay. You know, you got rid of a number one pick, took you to a Super Bowl, nearly won you a Super Bowl, and you make the move for Matthew Stafford, who's never won a playoff game. So I, I would say, though, that one's almost equally yoked between those two. You're asking from a player perspective, but it's hard for me to look at Stafford and not attach him to little Sean McVay running up and down that sidelines, barking out plays that you know, and even the way that system is run, and how much McVay is in that headset and calling those plays and and doing many of those checks. So, I, I, I in some ways almost looked as, as those two is is duly yoked together. And you know what, man? Pressure. There's pressure on Tom Brady. No, he's won seven Super Bowls. Paul, go on. But if Tom Brady and the Buccaneers struggle, what will be the the story of the NFL? Mm. Tom Brady. You know, he's in the front of the line. He's the greatest of all time. And with that comes huge expectations, huge pressure to to run it back. You bring everybody back. Let's go do it again. You know, Bruce Arians uh, does not love to throw rose petals. And when adversity comes, you know what he's going to do. He's going to point the finger at Tom, so, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, you yeah, mean, did it last year a lot. He did. You kind of <laughs> know how that script goes. Unless they run him back, unless Tom plays great, unless they win a bunch of games, guess where there's going to be a, a bunch of pressure? Not on his legacy, not on any of that. He's the greatest of all time. But as far as headlines, as far as what you're talking about, as far as what's on ESPN, as far as what's on NFL Network and NFL Live and everything else, who is it? If the Buccaneers are 3-3 three and three and Tom looks slowed down, where, where are the most words going to be written? He'll yeah. be written about number 12 in Tampa Bay.
1: I'm really interested to see what he does this year. I, I am still fascinated by going back to 2002 when he was asked after his first Super Bowl you know, about his idea about going into every single year. And he talked about how this trainer at Michigan told him, you know what the best championship is, Tom, that I've ever won? The next one. And he said that after his first Super Bowl. And my yep. goodness, here he is and he's still going. It's ridiculous. Pretty remarkable. Question number three. Mike Lombardi did an article that listed every single NFC team's biggest worry. And, Brock, I know that this was discussed earlier this week where uh, Danny asked you who you think is going to have the most sacks on the team, and, and you said Carlos Dunlap. But he believes that the biggest worry for the Seahawks is the pass rush. Are they going to be able to get pressure on their quarterbacks from their defensive line and Jamal Adams? Can Carlos Dunlap, Alden Smith, L.J. Collier provide the pressure wrote Lombardi they need to help their secondary. Schneider knows the offense will score. His worry will be, can we rush? Is that their biggest concern on defense, or is it going to be the pass coverage on the back end?
0: Yeah, I think I lean a little bit more on the pass coverage end of things until I see that aspect of it. Right, You have invested a, a fair amount of resources in, in draft picks and bringing Carlos back and Kerry Hyder and Alden Smith And whenever he gets on the field. Is LJ going to be a big sack guy? No. Is Rasheem Green going to be a big sack guy? No. Can Daryl Taylor sprinkle in four or five sacks? Would that be a huge bonus to this team? Yes. Is Jamal still going to blitz a quarterback? Absolutely. It's what he does best and, and where he's most comfortable playing the game. So if you're going to do that and you're going to bring some people – You've got to be able to play some some man to man coverage. You've got to be pretty sticky in your zone defense. Bobby, at this stage of his career, you know, it's just got to be excellent in that zone coverage. Jordan Brooks got to take a step. He's been given that opportunity to be the will linebacker. KJ had a lot of length, a lot of savviness, played this system inside and out for a decade. Jordan Brooks got his feet wet last year, but he's going to have to take that next step, and people are going to test, you know, those guys in that zone coverage. If you're playing base and Daryl Taylor's in, Playing Sam linebacker, guess what Daryl Taylor's going to have to do a little bit? He's going to have to cover some zones. going to have to get into some space. So, no, I think I probably look at that entire coverage package. That's not Jamal's strength, right, playing on the back ends. Akil Witherspoon, the, the 49ers, didn't even bid for his services and let him walk. DJ Reed took a big step, huge step last year, and, and I think gained a ton of confidence. But you got to have more than one, and you'd love to have more than two. And in this league and in this division, against the Rams and the Cardinals and a healthy 49ers crew firing at you, you'd sure love to have more than three guys that you feel very, very comfortable covering in man coverage.
1: I'm very curious to see what those guys are going to be able to do. And I, I really want to see Brooks prove all of these Internet haters wrong. For whatever reason, he is discussed on the Internet in a way that does not seem to line up with what we, at the very least, off for him this past season I'm not 100% sure why it's because
0: he did none of it Paul collegiately right it's because when they go back and they look at what he did and it was a funky system at Texas Tech mm-hmm. I have one of his games I was like man this guy is a tackling machine mm-hmm. he is a downhill a marble running downhill and that was everything everything in their scheme was predicated upon that kind of aggressiveness he rarely dropped back. He rarely got in his zone coverages. He rarely had to out-recognize and read and jump things. That just was not what he was asked to do. And, and last year, that was still K.J.'s job. He came in and filled in admirably when they moved you know, K.J. to more of that strong side. And, and he was on the field and healthy. He more than held his own as a rookie. But holding your own as a rookie and then being a difference maker on a team with Super Bowl aspirations, that is a big step that he's going to have to take in his career.
1: Brock, I have one last question for you. It is a curveball. Oh, good. What is the best 1980s action movie? (sighs) I will say first, it is Predator. Really? Oh, I love that. In, out, it's quick. You have all of these yoked up action action movie heroes. You have Jesse the Body Ventura. You've got Carl Weathers. You've God, of course Arnold Schwarzenegger, and yes. I mean I I, I Predator's thought it was pretty good,
0: man. Yeah, Predator's sneaky good. I, uh, that's not a if, if you're getting ripped on the text, you know, you're getting ripped by a bunch of probably twenty somethings, thirty somethings that don't know their '80s action movies. Top Gun's not an action movie; is that more of a romance love movie?
1: I don't think you could say it's an action movie. There's enough th- th- going on, and you've got the, of course the volleyball scene. I mean, that's an action movie <laughs> scene, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go top i'm gonna go top gun and i'm kind of waiting on top gun 2 it keeps getting pushed back i know it was supposed to be june of 2020 and then christmas time oh. and now we're coming into the summer and i think i'm hearing now maybe not till the holiday season of 2021 so let's go I thought, come on math I'm with you. Get back in the saddle. Let's do this thing.
1: Let's get this thing started. I I miss movie theater so, so much. And hopefully, those things are about to open here. But that's not my something that is in my control, Brock Heard. Brock, (laughs) appreciate you joining me this morning. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, man. Have a good weekend.
0: Thank you, Paula. You got it, buddy. See ya. That is Brock Heard,
1: everybody.